So this morning we're uh, picking up where we left off. We're going to finish uh, the end of chapter 5. So we're going to start uh, John chapter 5 verse 31 and read all the way to the end of the chapter. Remember this is um, this is still Jesus speaking. Uh, this is the uh, continuation or the and the conclusion of his testimony that he's giving his defense. Um, and we look forward to going over these verses together this morning. Let me let me read these before we get started. John chapter 5, starting in verse 31. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than John's, for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do, bear witness of me, and the Father has sent me. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. But you do not have his word abiding in you, because whom he sent, him you do not believe. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me, that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not sink the honor of that that comes from the only God? Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you again for the time you set aside in our week. And we just ask that you bless our time together, Father, through your word. And we ask that you use your word to change us, Father, and make us more like Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as a way of introduction to somewhat set the stage for where we are today in the scriptures, We are reminded that in the Old Testament, when uh, capital crimes had been committed, when there was a trial, uh, the suspects uh, were tried in public at the city gate before the judges. If there was a particular trial that involved the death penalty, if it was some severe matter, um, in order for the death penalty to be given, if a person was to be found guilty and to be given the death penalty, at least two eyewitnesses of the crime had to give testimony and their testimonies had to completely agree with each other. Okay, They had to completely agree, um, both of them, two eyewitnesses to the crime before the death penalty. Well, that was an important law in Israel. In fact, of course, it was, it was so important uh, to God that one of His Ten Commandments addresses this issue, right? About not bearing false witness against your neighbor. If someone has or was found guilty of bearing false witness, they themselves would be subject even to the death penalty. 
So great, great care was given uh, to learning about the truth during a trial because a lot is at stake, okay? Now, we give this background uh, because of the context, again, of which we find ourselves with Jesus in dealing with the religious authorities. Jesus has been charged with what? Violating the Sabbath. We're still in that context, right? He's been charged with violating the Sabbath because He told the man to take up his mat and walk, and he, and he performed a healing. So let's look closer at some of these verses. In verse 31 it says, Jesus says, If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Now, just on memory, uh, how many times has Jesus made announcements about his ministry and his work? I mean, in the New, I mean, many times in the New Testament, right? He has been open about his ministry uh, and why he's here uh, in in the world. He's he's done it over and over again. But here Jesus says, "Let me repeat it." What he just says: If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Is is he telling us that, uh, or is he asking us or telling us not to believe in him? No, he's not telling us not to believe him. Right here, uh, Jesus is speaking in the legal context. Okay, in terms of a trial, what he, what he's saying here, what his his point here is saying that his testimony, the things he says about himself, is not legally valid in a trial unless it is verified by others. Okay, that's the point Jesus is trying to make when he says this. Uh, How many times, I know all of you, uh, have had to sign legal documents at some point, right, in time? Or, you know, you buy a house, you, um, I don't know, you, you buy a car, um, you buy land or something, you have to go to an attorney's office, right, and sign legal documents. There is a, uh, a place for your signature, and then right next to it is a place for the signature of who? A witness, a witness right? <laughs> Somebody else who watches you read this document, sign your name to it. Okay, I watched them. that They're, they're present. They're, they're in their right mind. They're not coerced, Right? They're not nobody's making them sign the thing, right? That's none of that's happening, and I witness to this that this is true. So, uh, in, in that, of course, in in that situation, you you can't sign for yourself and also sign as your witness, right? It, it, you can't do that. So, that's that's what Jesus means here. He says, if I if I bear witness to myself, then my witness is not valid. I can't say these things about me and then also witness to these things about me. Now, important thing we just need to note before we move on, Jesus is the Son of God. We, we know that. His words are true. Okay? He, he, he needs no witness because of who He is. Right? God, he says things that are absolutely true. He cannot lie. But in this context, He refers or He prefers to surrender that right. He is uh, trying to convince His enemies uh, by the authority of God. Okay? He is trying to to play by their rules, so to speak. Okay? Uh, so, defend, to defend himself against these religious leaders, he calls four witnesses who can support his testimony. Not just one witness, not just two, but he calls four witnesses. Let's look at witness number one. 
verse 32, it says, There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. Now here it appears initially that Jesus is referring to God Himself. Now, He's going to speak more about that later. Where He starts is with someone more familiar uh, to the group. And we see this in verses 33 and 35. Jesus says, You have sent to John. You remember when He said you have sent to John, you remember the religious leaders heard about things going on. They had already sent messengers to John to find out right who John was and what he's doing. So Jesus says, you have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He, John, was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. Again, reminder, at this point in history, okay, John is more famous than Jesus. Okay, so let's remember that. John is more famous than Jesus at this current time. Now you remember, John, I mean John the Baptist. I'm sorry, let me be clear. John the Baptist, right? He is more uh, famous than Jesus at this time. And you remember, when John the Baptist came on the scene, he created quite a stir, a national stir among all the people because um, uh, he came out of the wilderness and you remember he was baptizing in the Jordan River. The significance, obviously he got their attention because he represented the restoration of the office of Old Testament prophet uh, after God had been silent for 400 years. So every Jew in the nation of Israel has heard of John the Baptist. They, They all know who he is. And so Jesus is pointing to him. And Jesus describes him what? As a burning and a shining lamp. He, of course, Jesus said, He has borne witness to the truth. Right? He's, he, John has said true things about me. And then John, Jesus describes him as a burning and a shining lamp. John, John was a lamp, right? In, in the sense that he brought light. 400 years of, of hearing nothing from God, right? He brought light. Uh, and it says, but he brought intense heat. Well, what, is he, what are we to take from these things? I think Calvin uh, has some words here that uh, helps us. This is, this is from Calvin's commentary. It says, By these words, Christ describing uh, John the Baptist, Christ accuses the Jews and at the, and at the same time conveys to all of us a warning that when God sends faithful teachers to guide us in the right way, we should take care not to abuse them by wandering in every direction. So, you think about that as it applies to John the Baptist as a light, as a heat, something that you can follow. Somebody is, is, is spreading truth, okay? And you can, of course, the application, the broader application to all of us, right? As, as God sends us faithful teachers, then we should follow them. We should listen to what they are saying. Well, Jesus reminds them about John the Baptist. That's his, is his first witness. Um, you remember back in chapter 1 of the same book, we learned that John the Baptist came what? He had a purpose. He came as a witness, right? A witness to bear witness of the light that all may believe through him. And you remember how he says, He, John the Baptist, was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of the light. We find that in chapter 1, verses 7 through 8. So, it's not surprising, given the context, that Jesus calls John the Baptist as his first witness. 
so Jesus is saying, if you, if you wanted to say this way, John's my first witness, John the Baptist. Uh, he bore witness about me. He, In fact, he announced me before the people. Remember? Literally, he did. What did John the Baptist say about Jesus? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So that's witness number one. Witness number two, verses 36 through the first half of 37. But I have a greater witness than John for the works which the Father has given to me to finish. The very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me and the Father Himself who sent me has testified of me. Now, we have mentioned this before in this study and in other studies, right? So, we sh- everybody should be able to answer this question. What is the purpose of miracles? Who wants to answer that one? We've, we've gone over this many times in this study and others. The purpose of miracles was what? Anybody? Okay, well, they do, but primarily they were to do what? They were to, who remembers? That's right, authenticate the one in the, doing the ministry, right? To authenticate that they are what? Truly sent from God. That was the purpose, the primary purpose of miracles, was to authenticate the identity of the, the one, the prophet, okay? In this case, the Messiah, that they are truly sent from God. Now, when you think about miracles, um, and you hear this word tossed around a lot, even today, right? When uh, you hear it a lot of times when maybe somebody uh, is, is healed from a disease. You know, you hear it when, um, of course, we hate to hear cancer for anybody, right? Especially in your own life. You hear the word, oh, it might be cancer. It's a totally a, a scary thing, which I completely understand. Uh, but you've heard of those times where, they go back and mysteriously it's gone, right? Cancer is gone. They can't find anything, right? Um, and well, it's a miracle. And, and you know, could be, right? I mean, God could could do something. But 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 when you when you think about miracles and the purpose, a lot of people think that miracles prove the existence of God. But th- listen. Listen closely, okay? They think that miracles prove the existence of God. But is that true? Uh, okay, a little bit of a trick question. It's not true. Okay? Um, it's not true because for an act to be recognized as a miracle, the existence of God is presupposed. Okay? Because why? Because a miracle is technically something only God can do. You, you, everybody, tracking. I know it's early. Everybody's tracking, right? So, so uh, the fact that uh, the, the the fact that there are miracles don't prove the existence of God. Okay, they they validate uh, the ministry of the messenger. Now, because miracles are technically something only God can do, we need to remember this. Um, because I think there are some people who probably have a wrong idea about this too. Some people think that Satan can do miracles. Now, you may have never considered that. Right? That may be something you never really thought of. Okay? 
But let's be clear, he can't. Satan cannot perform miracles. Okay? Only God can perform miracles. Now, what can Satan do? Satan performs tricks, right? That's what he does. He performs tricks, um, but he cannot do what only God can do. So, so miracles are given to authenticate the messenger. Who The messenger in this case is Jesus. Uh, but uh, they are to authenticate that He is the one truly sent from God the Father. Now you remember earlier in the Gospel of John, Jesus had an encounter with Nicodemus. You remember this, right? You remember Nicodemus. He, he recognized this. Right about, about the miracles. You remember what he told, uh, what he said, or what he told Jesus in John chapter three, verse two. He says, "Rabbi, talking to Jesus, we know you are a teacher from God. Why? For no one can do the things you do unless God is with him." So Nicodemus understood it. He understood who Jesus was by the miracles. They validated who he was. So. Here, Jesus is appealing to his miracles as a witness to his identity. Later in uh, John, uh, and Jesus says in chapter 10, he says, I do not do the works of my Father. Do not believe, if, excuse me, if I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe in me. But if I do, through you, do not believe in me, because the works that you may know and believe the Father is in me and I in him. Sounds kind of hard sometimes to follow the language. What's Jesus saying in chapter 10? Okay, you may not in fact believe in me and what I say, but believe in what I do. Look at what I do. I can only do those things if the Father is with me. Okay, and because the Father told me to do those things. So Jesus is making it clear that uh, the works that He has done, so far we have several miracles that He's done, in the Gospel of John, they prove that God the Father Himself has authenticated His identity. Witness number 3, verses 37, second half of 37 through 38. Jesus says, You have neither heard His voice at any time nor seen His form, but you do not have His word abiding in you, because whom He sent Him you do not believe. Who's who's uh, who's who's uh, he talking about now? He's talking about the Father, isn't he? God, the Father. So by saying this, we can reasonably deduce, okay, that the people who who Jesus is addressing here obviously were not present at Jesus' baptism. Why? Why do we say that? Because he's telling them you've never heard his voice. What happened at Jesus' baptism? The Holy Spirit descended upon him as a dove, right? And the voice of God the Father was audible. It was heard. Do you remember? What did, what did Jesus, what did God the Father say from heaven as the, as the dove descended on His Son? This is My Son, in whom I am well pleased. It's an audible voice from heaven, from God, saying, this is who this man is. This man is my son. The uh, there's another time, right, that the father gives audible testimony to the identity of Jesus. Off the top of your head, 
Fast forward from where we are now. Hadn't happened yet in the Gospel of John, right? Who, who, what's the, what, which one do you think of? Thank you. Mount of Transfiguration, right? Um, on, uh, on both of those occasions, God the Father, His voice was heard audibly. And again, you know, just the, the fact that God the Father did that. You remember, we use the word um, that God the Father has condescended to us. Okay, and we hear the word condescended. We think that usually in a negative con. You know, don't don't talk so condescending to me, like you talking down to me, right? But when we say that God condescends to us, what do we mean? What what do we mean? Does God use words like we do? <coughs> so, what do we mean when we say God condescends to us? Think about in the the the, the context of this audible voice. Yeah. Amen. Hey, God, the Father, the Creator of everything, who exists without language, never had to have language, right? He doesn't communicate with words. Chose to use words when speaking, and he he came down to our level so we can understand him. What a wonderful act, right? Where he. I'm going to I'm going to communicate uh, with these people. I'm going to use their words. I'm going to use their language so they can understand me. Uh, Doctor Sproul said in this section, he says, I, "I'm sure uh, some of you've seen uh, bumper stickers." And you know, bumper. I thought about bumper stickers. Bumper stickers aren't as popular as they used to be. You notice that because a lot of cars don't really have bumpers anymore. You notice that? <laughs> that's the, that's the reason, right? Every, they don't make cars with real bumpers anymore. I just thought about that. You know. That's uh, it, what you see there is not a bumper; it's a piece of plastic, right? Uh, but uh, but anyway, uh, the bumper stickers when they were popular, and probably there's still some out there today. Have you ever seen the one that says "God said it, I believe it, that settles it"? Have you ever seen that? Ever seen one of those? I've, I don't know if I've seen one of the bumper stickers, but I've seen it, right? I've heard it said. Well, you know, when you first read that, it, okay, that sounds pretty cool, you know. But if you think about it for a minute. Okay, you just think about that. And think about what you know about God. Okay, because you're good students of the Bible, right? You're good Presbyterians, right? What is that a really was is there something anything wrong with that? It makes no difference whether I believe it or not. God said it and just is. <laughs> Amen. Amen. That's a if you think about it, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. It's actually pretty arrogant, isn't it? It's saying that in order for it to be settled, I have to assent to it. Now, does something do I have to assent to something that God says for it to be true? Absolutely not. The better bumper sticker is what? God settles it, or God said it, that settles it. That's the better bumper sticker, right? God said it, that settles it. Whether I agree to it or not, doesn't matter, right? It's still true, okay? It is, it is still uh, true. So if, if God declares something, which we're back to you know, this, this trial that we're under, uh, God's voice has been heard. Uh, if God declares something, God, God has said, Jesus is my son. This is my son who I'm well pleased. Then we don't need another witness. It's over. It's settled. It's done. God does not need a witness to Himself. God is God. Right? 
somebody else uh, doesn't have to assent to to um, to make it true. We don't have to agree with him to make what he says true. Right? That's not the way it works. Witness number four. So, what are our our first three witnesses have been who? John the Baptist, right? First witness. Second witness, the miracles that Jesus has performed. The third witness, the Father Himself. And now, the fourth witness is the Scriptures themselves. Verse uh, 39, it says, Jesus says, You search the Scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. Now, let's we need to remember here who Jesus is talking to. Okay? Jesus is not talking to a theological liberal. Okay? Jesus is not talking or addressing or giving a defense, okay, to a secularist. Okay, Who, who's he giving his defense before? Okay, these are, as as R.C. puts it, card-carrying fundamentalists. Okay, they they these people uh, would not have even thought of going to church without carrying their Bibles. Okay, that's that's these people had the Old Testament. They were students of the Old Testament. They read it regularly. So he says, you search the Scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. What is, what is, it's like Jesus was saying this, and this I'm taking this from R.C.'s uh, commentary. Jesus, he's kind of breaking this down into, into modern words. It's like he's Jesus saying this. You guys have Bible study every week. Not, not just a 15-minute daily devotional. Okay, that you might have in a quiet time. You, you guys search the scriptures. You are students of the scriptures. You are well versed because, and he, and he hit on a thing here because you think he's talking to these religious leaders. You think that in the studying, just in the the studying of the word, I'm sitting and I'm reading and I'm studying every day. They think just because that you have eternal life. That's what, that's what they thought that we have the Old Testament. We read it every day. We study it. What does this mean? What does this mean? We think just in the act, okay, just the act of me doing the study, in that, by doing that, I have eternal life. That's what they thought. Jesus is going to say, yes, the Scriptures lead to eternal life. But the Scriptures point to me. That's what Jesus is saying. They point to a person. They point to me. How can you read the Scriptures and not believe in me? Jesus adds in verse 40, He says, But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. So, really here, if you think about it, He's really challenging everything they really know is true. Okay, about how... Let me me be a little bit more careful how I say that. He's challenging how they understand eternal life and how to obtain it. Okay? That's what he's challenging. They think they're good. They're golden. 
They're the people of God. They're the special people. They're the only nation who has the Old Testament, right? They think just in the mere study, I'm good. I'm in the kingdom. I have eternal life. But Jesus is saying that's not enough. So he's challenging everything that they are saying. The Jewish leaders, the Jewish authorities knew the scriptures. They had a head knowledge of what was contained in the words. The words themselves spoke of Jesus, spoke of the Messiah, but they're not willing to listen to the testimony and they're not willing. These are Jesus' words. They're not willing to come to him for eternal life. Jesus uh, continues, verses 41 and 43, let's read this. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. Dr. Sproul asked a question here. He says, um, he says, how do you get a famous person, okay, maybe, um, maybe a politician or someone famous in the area, how do you get, they have, obviously have a very busy schedule, right? They're, they're very busy. How do you get them to come to speak at an event that you may be hosting? How do you get them to come and speak? And he says, easy, right? Some of you may have done this in, in the past. Um, it's easy. Give them an honor. Right? Give, give them a plaque. Give them... Colleges do it all the time. They do what? How do, what do colleges do? Honorary doctorates. Right? So they may contact some... A lot of times it's politicians. Sometimes it's successful business people. Right? Let's say you know, the University of South Carolina wants to get the president of Google to come speak. Now, that'd be pretty hard to get, wouldn't it? I don't know. Maybe maybe USC could do that. I don't know. But I'm just saying as an example. That'd be pretty hard to get. But what if they said, all right, I don't even know who the president of Google is. I don't have a clue, right? But let's just say, all right, dude, whatever your name is, we're going to give you an honorary doctorate in whatever. He might come, right? Hey, he might, he might be there. Yeah, they're going to give me an honorary uh, degree. So then we would the U. Then the college would invite them to be there. We'll come be here for the presentation. Okay, and so that's how it happens. That's how that's how you get those people uh, to be there. Well, the fact is, the heart matter here is what we're talking about. Is because and Jesus knows this. Human beings love to be honored. They love to see their name on a plaque, right? They love to stand up. And receive praise from men. And to have a standing ovation. And Jesus understands this. But here what Jesus is saying. He said it. He said I do not receive honor from men. Jesus is refusing to seek honor from human beings. He says that's, that's not why I do what I do. And, and if you think about it just for a moment. Jesus the son of God. Compare it truly fully man, right? Fully man, fully God. Compared to every other human being that's ever existed and ever will be, he is obviously the most deserving of all honor, right? 
of everyone. Yet the Jewish leaders would not do that. They would not honor him as who he was. If if Jesus had agreed uh, to listen to man and rather than God, then he would have agreed to be the kind of Messiah that they wanted. If you remember, what did they want? They want the Messiah who comes in and does miracles and provides food and also provides political and um, military power. That's what they want. That's what's in their their head as the Messiah. That's what He's going to do when He comes. He's going to do all these things. And what is Jesus saying? Jesus is, Jesus is performing miracles, right? And He is feeding. We're going to next week, well, it won't be next week, but week after next, Lord willing, we'll talk about feeding the 5,000. But did He do these other things? Did He come in and challenge the, the political authorities? No. Did He go in and challenge uh, with military? Am I going to get the Romans out? No, He didn't do any of those things. So He knew that He would not receive honor from them. Because why? Was He seeking to be the Messiah they wanted? No. He was there to be the Messiah that God has sent Him to be. That's why He's there. He's seeking to honor His Father and not receive honor from men. Uh, Jesus says here, if you notice too, talking about honor, the last part of verse 43 says, If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. We do know that uh, the Jewish historian Josephus, we've mentioned him uh, here before, does record a string, what he calls them, as as messianic uh, pretenders that arose uh, in the years before A.D. 70. So there were people who came pretending. Um, and it, it was uh, that some of the people were, because they came being who the people wanted them to be. And so they were much more accepted, right? Of course, you know, there's no books written about those people, right? <laughs> we don't have the, the testimony of, the, of, of theirs. Obviously, they were charlatans. They were not legit. There's nothing written about them here, right? It stands the test of time. So we know that's not the truth. Well, finally, Jesus gets to a point here in verses 45 through 46. He says, Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is, there is one who accuses you. Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Sadly, there are some uh, today, even today, who believe that Moses did not write the first five books of the Bible. We call them the Pentateuch. Um, If you think about that for a minute, if that's true, that creates a whole bunch of problems. And even for those people who believe that, it creates a whole lot of problems for them too. Okay, you got to do, uh, we call it you know, mental gymnastics, theological gymnastics to really get through the Bible if you are assuming that Moses didn't write the first five books. That's a lot of problems. Of course, we don't believe that. But here, what does Jesus say? Jesus says, Moses is the author. Moses wrote about me, right? So what he's doing, he's turning it back on his critics, right? He's, he's saying, again, we'll kind of paraphrase it a little bit, um, Jesus can say, you call yourselves disciples of Moses. They, they, Moses they love, right? Wait, Moses is, he's, the, he's, he's it. He's, he's God's man. You call yourselves disciples of Moses. You trust the teaching of Moses. But you really don't believe it because Moses was writing about me. 
Don't you understand that when he described the tabernacle, he was talking about me? Wow, you think about that for a minute. I know, I know Pam, Miss Pam with the kids did maybe a couple of years ago a really good study on the tabernacle. Uh, what, was, what, was, what was the purpose of the tabernacle? Right? It was, what was the, it, it moved around, but, but what was kind of the purpose? Who remembers? It was where what? That's right, where his presence dwelt. He would, God, again, God condescending down to us, coming down from the heavens where he dwells, right, in the infinite sphere, but coming down and dwelling with his people. So the people had something because we always want something. You know, we always want something tangible we can put our hands on. That's why we're, our hearts are idol making factories, right? That's why we, we, we always, we want something I put my hand on instead of just trusting God who I can't see, right? Uh, I want something I can put my hands on. Well, he's, he's, he's saying, hey, Jesus talked about the tabernacle. He's talking about me. But when Moses said there would be another prophet like him, he was referring to me. This is, what, this is Jesus' words I'm saying, right? So he says, if you don't believe in Moses, how are you going to believe in me? So he, again, they, they really they accepted what Moses said. So, so Jesus is just turning it back on them. You say you believe in Moses. Well, if you did, then you'd believe in me. Matthew Henry commented here, he says, when uh, the hearts of men are full of pride, ambition, and the love of this world, there is no room for the Word of God to abide in Him. Now, full of pride, ambition, and love of the world. That's When that's in man's heart, where's there room to listen to the Word of God? It's not there, right? Because man's heart's consumed with his own self and the love of this world. And I believe that accurately describes these people at this time. So what we see here, when the question of Jesus' identity is, is under attack, okay, he's on trial, he calls four witnesses. He calls John the Baptist, he calls his own miracles, the audible uh, testimony of the Father and of sacred Scripture. Four witnesses. Now, if that's not enough to convince them, then what really is? At this point, Dr. Spoh asks the question, is there a fifth witness? Um, Dr. Spoh said, I don't think... And of course, in the context of here, yes, Jesus calls for witness. But I don't think this is the last that we will hear, or we haven't heard the last until we go back to the book of Acts, to the account of Paul's address uh, to the philosophers at Mars Hill in Athens. You remember what Paul told them, and we did we looked over this in our study of Acts. Paul told them in Acts seventeen thirty, if you remember this, truly the times of ignorance God overlooked. But he does what now? Now commands all men everywhere to repent. What was he was Paul was telling them, listen, man, God's been patient with y'all for a very long time. He's overlooked a lot of things. He's been patient with you and your pagan uh, religion and your ignorance. He's put up with this a very long time, but now those times are over. He commands all men everywhere to repent. Now, when you think about what Paul's saying there, his approach, because he's he's evangelizing, isn't he? He's evangelizing these folks in uh, Athens. How how different was his approach 
than what you may see in modern evangelism. When you hear most people in the context of modern evangelism, what what kind of words do they use when they're talking about repentance and in our answer back to God? What do you hear people say? Do you hear people say God commands all people to repent? There's there's a softer word that we like to use these days. The softer word is invite. God invites everyone to repent. That sounds so much better, doesn't it? We're not, we're not going. God's not going to command anybody to do anything. God's inviting you. He's a big granddaddy. He's a teddy bear, and he's just inviting people, all men, to repent. Well, Paul didn't say that God invites all men to repent. Why? Well, one thing you think about an invitation. Um, if you get an invitation to a wedding or a social event, you can decline that, right? I, I, I'm sorry, I can't go. And there's really no negative consequences other than maybe you might disappoint the person who invited you. But there's no long-term, there's no major issues with that, right? You can, hey, I'm busy, I have something else to do. I can't go. But you cannot refuse God's commandment to repentance without experiencing the wrath of God. Do you see how you, you you can't... It's just His command to repent or repentance before God is not something you can just say, oh, no, I'm not interested. When, you know, if that's the case, then what happens? You die and you trespasses and sins and you experience judgment forever. So Paul is saying that God commands repentance because why? Because He's appointed a day in which He's going to judge the world and in righteousness by who? By the man, capital M, He has ordained, which is Jesus Christ. He has given assurance to this by doing what? By raising Him from the dead. That's Paul's words in Acts. Paul's saying He commands everyone to repent. Why? Because one day you're going to stand and give an account by the judge of righteousness, the Son of God is going to stand in judgment and you have to give an account. And, it, and he says, this, the last thing, this is kind of where we want to sum up this fifth witness, right? He has given assurance of these things by doing what? By raising Him from the dead. Do we want any more testimony or evidence uh, than that? If we do, well... You're not going to get it. Because God has made it clear the resurrection of Jesus, raising His Son from the dead, was the final witness to His identity as to who He was. Raising the Son of God from dead, from the dead. My clock shows 1045. That was a good time. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank You so much for our time this morning. Father, We, as we look at Your Word, Father, we, um, we just we thank You for uh, the gift of it. We pray that each and every day that as we look to the Scriptures, Father, that uh, we don't uh, get wrapped up in just our the study of just a work in and of ourselves, Father, but we look at the Scriptures and we see who it points to. Father, we see uh, the Son of God 
Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one whom the Scriptures are all about. Father, we pray that we will submit our entire lives to Him and make Him Lord over everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.